Okay, here's the setting for our study today. Before we turn to, turn to page 45 and hold the page. Paul wrote his first letter to the believers at Thessalonica in approximately 50 AD, about 18 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. This makes 1 Thessalonians both one of the earliest of Paul's letters and one of the earliest writings in the New Testament. As such, it provides one of the earliest glimpses of the first century Christian community with its emphasis on faith and love. Keep that thought in mind as we go into the study uh, today. Uh, let's look at our first question on page 45. What's the best forgery, fake, or fraud you've ever seen or heard about? Show you the money. Hmm? Money. Money? Okay. Okay. Which so, uh, which note? Looks so real, the hundred dollar note. But hundred dollar. Um, they were counterfeit. Mm -hmm. And then um, last year I didn't see, actually see one, but someone told me about one. Okay. Yeah. It looked really. It looked real. <laughs> mm. Anyone else? The best forgery, fake, or fraud. You've either seen or heard about. The devil killed Jesus. He is God. <laughs> what? The devil killed He is God. <laughs> he can tell you stupid in the bread. That's the biggest thing. I heard about a really terrible fraud uh, yesterday. That was true. Um, it probably wouldn't go down as the greatest or best, but um, a member of the family had gone in and uh, changed and forged uh, a parent's signature and had been accepted to change um, the will. No and, kidding. Uh, was accepted as uh, authentic. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Randy, Dr. Ford. Who's that? Dr. Ford? Yeah. Oh, the Brett and Judge Eleanor's music. What about her? She's a what? What was she? She. Huh? What about her, brother? My friend, just leave that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just want to hear American news. Well, you brought it up. I know yeah. you brought it up. Um, all right, kind of long story short, the United States is going to acquire a new chief justice for the high courts. Oh. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman that they have there was picked by the president himself. Therefore, being an American and being in that type of office, you have to be investigated by the FBI and the CIA and all the agencies. All the agencies? He had six different agencies that, I mean, he had six um, investigations by the FBI. Everything came up clear. Mm -hmm. Not only that, he was the advisor to George Bush. He'd been all over the world, he's seen everybody that was suitable to be seen. Anyway, uh, he had more investigations than anybody else in the Supreme Court or so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. I can go on and on and he got a clean bill of health. Whilst he was 
Of course, his mother was a judge and his father was a criminal lawyer and he was brought up into the atmosphere of being a chief justice. Mm -hmm. It goes on and on and on and he went to a Catholic school with a nun. It's very strict. Yeah, we... <laughs> yeah, so we... And of course, there was young ladies there and he got acquainted with 36 or 39 of them, which was very beautiful and very kind to him. And he enjoyed it. But nevertheless, there was no, there was no love affair between them, but there was good friends and they loved to drink beer. So therefore, when he comes to the House of Representatives, they, um, a lady by the name of Dr. Ford, who was in a lesser grade and, a, and should I say, not of the elite society, but she wanted to, but she couldn't. So therefore, I, she came up with the idea that he did what so what category are you putting it in in regard to this question though? <laughs> the thing was, she is trying to accuse him of a sexual um, harassment. Right, okay. <laughs> he said he knows nothing about it because he, didn't, he was not acquainted with her. He probably saw her mm -hmm. at the school at some given time, but she was not in his category. Mm -hmm. So he says that he is innocent, and to cut a long story short, I should say this whenever that I will. Apparently, he did not know the ins and outs of a woman until he got married. So that's my guess. Okay, so what? 37 years later, huh? when, from when she says this happened. What, well, 36 years, yeah. 86 years. Yeah. Uh, so what category are you putting in with regards to, is she a fake, a fraud? Fake. Yes. Fake. Okay, so you're saying she's a fake. Okay. Yeah. Yesterday, All right. Facebook put a picture up of Dr. Ford and Bill Clinton. And <laughs> <laughs> tell you anything. <laughs> there was also a story revealed that uh, Kavanaugh's mother was the judge who uh, presided over his parents' case and caused his parents to lose their home. Anybody heard about that part of it? Uh, but who's whose parents? The Ford lady, her parents. Oh, her parents. Her parents. Uh, so some people are saying that's probably the reason why she's she's doing this after 36 years. We don't know. Uh, only God one knows. Okay, let's look at uh, Bible meets life. Well, I hope, I'll just say this, and I just hope it don't ever come out about me when I was 15 or 16. What was that Okay, we'll open with you. Okay, let's look at the uh, Bible meets life. Between 1590 and 1613, William Shakespeare wrote close to 40 plays that are still performed around the world. So in 1795, when William Henry Ireland produced documents supposedly written by Shakespeare, the world took notice. Several experts authenticated the documents. When Ireland found a previously unknown Shakespearean play called Vortigern and Rowena, it was immediately put into production. But the first performance revealed the play so bad that fighting broke out and Ireland was revealed as a fraud. Ireland didn't find these documents at all. He had cleverly aged parchment paper and learned to forge the handwriting of the famous playwright. Mm. 
Eventually, however, these works were seen for the forgeries they were. At some point, inauthenticity will always be revealed, even when it is in a Christian's attitude. Most of us can be polite and friendly when we have to, but genuine joy calls for something deeper. People can detect the difference between a superficial, I'm glad to see you, and authentic joy. We cannot manufacture such genuine joy, but we will possess it when we're consumed with the gospel and the love of Christ. Amen. So that tells us how important it is for us to live out genuine joy, doesn't it? When we think about that story. What's the point? Authentic joy flows from a relationship with Jesus. Okay. So when we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, only then we can demonstrate and manifest authentic joy. Let's pray. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the many reasons we have authentic joy in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the great sacrifice that you made through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make this joy possible. Guide us and direct us as we spend time focusing on that today in our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first passage we have. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, 1 to 3. Uh, just read the verse, and then we're going to look at that first question. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, a couple of thoughts. Uh, notice what he says, uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church where? Thessalonica. In God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at it, we, we notice that faith and love are driving forces in how Christians should live their lives. They are the propelling forces, the driving forces. In the opening section of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian believers, Paul introduced himself as well as his two associates, Silvanus, also known as Silas, Timothy. We know who Timothy was, right? That Silvanus and Timothy are included indicates their involvement with and their concern for the Thessalonian church. And what he's saying is all three of us are concerned about you. The letters addressed to the church of Thessalonica, or the church of the Thessalonians. And uh, Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia and was one of the most important commercial centers in Greece. Where people, when, when we talk about going to the, to the States mm -hmm. uh, to shop, in those days people would be going to, be going to, 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 to Greece to shop. Uh, it was the commercial center of that time. And notice the phrases, 
in God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It set the Thessalonians apart or distinguished the Thessalonian believers from all other religious groups and all the other secular groups uh, and identified them at the core for who they were. And they were believers in Christ. In other words, he didn't lump them in with everybody else. He singled them out as believers in Christ. And of course, the word, the phrase, the Father, emphasizes God's authority over and God's loving concern for these believers who Paul and, and Silvanus and Timothy had singled out as being special to them, as also being special to God. And we notice the term Christ, identify God's Messiah. The term Lord indicates Jesus Christ, who was the master of the believers in Thessalonica. Is also, it is also equivalent to the term God. And so we see the Trinity mentioned here, God the Father, or rather God the Father, God the Father and God the Son. And then we saw this, uh, Paul's <coughs> greeting combined both Greek, when he mentions grace, and also the Jewish, when he mentions peace in terminology. And so he says, grace reminded believers of God's gracious act of forgiving sins and accomplishing salvation through Jesus Christ. Peace does not necessarily mean the absence of conflict. We know that, right? right. Does it mean the absence of conflict? No. It communicates, rather, the wholeness of the abundant blessings made available to the believer through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus says? Peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world give it, give I unto you. All right, so this is this is not mean that we're going to be free. Uh, a couple of verses, um, Acts chapter seventeen, uh, verses one to five says, "Now when they were when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews." According to Paul's custom, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women, but the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring him out to the people. That's one verse uh, that speaks about the impact that the believers had, Paul and Silas, in uh, Thessalonica when they went there. Okay, let's look at that first, that second question that we have. What do work, labor, and endurance have to do with faith, love, and hope? What does work, labor, and endurance have to do with faith, hope, and love? Um, in this, I believe it, it, it takes a level of Patience to begin with and understanding. Okay. The ability to go forward 
in mm -hmm. difficult times to believe that that there is a better way that when we reach to your goal that it would be accomplished mm -hmm. by having faith and believing that the Lord is always with you but you have to be patient believe in this and have an endurance to go forward okay Work, labor, and love. What do those three have in common? They are one and the same. <laughs> well, basically, eh? One and the same. They're basically synonyms of each other, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then faith, love, and hope? They're different, right? Well, like a trinity. They're like a trinity. Okay. Faith, love, and hope go together. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at the uh, paragraph we have uh, for the verses that we read. Someone go ahead and read those, please. The Christian church did not have a peaceful beginning in Thessalonica, the capital and largest city of Macedonia. Paul, Silas, and Timothy visited the city on Paul's second missionary journey. Many people in Thessalonica accepted the missionary's message of Christ, but the Jewish community incited a mob to attack the house where the missionaries were staying. Okay, that's the voice I read already. Okay. Okay. Nonetheless, the church had gotten off to a good start overall. But then Paul had to leave, hoping the good work of the gospel would continue. Paul was not disappointed. He later received word that the new Christians in Thessalonica were continuing to grow in the faith and faith and were persevering despite the continued persecution they were experiencing. So great was Paul's joy that he wrote the letter we know as Thessalonica. First Thessalonians. And these first few verses, you can hear not only his relief, but also the great joy Paul felt after hearing what was going on there. The Thessalonian Christians were working, laboring, and enduring. Paul was certainly thankful, and his thankfulness carried a sense of confidence that all these things would continue. But how could Paul be confident that these believers, young in their faith, believers he had spent so little time with, would continue working, laboring, and enduring? Next page. His confidence was not in the Thessalonians of the ability. They were just ordinary people, weak and fallible. No, his confidence was in the foundation of their work, labor, and endurance. Faith produced their work. Love motivated their labor. Hope inspired their endurance. Because the foundation was sure, the outward actions would continue. It is important for us to remember that any outward signs of our faith, like joy, for example, are ultimately dependent on the firmness of our foundation. The battle and the work of a Christian, of the Christian, are to be done at the heart level. And though it might not be as immediately gratifying as focusing on the beauty at the surface, 
this deep soul work where the Holy Spirit molds and shapes us is where we find our true strength. Long before our joy is expressed outwardly to others, it is formed inwardly through our faith, hope, and love. Okay, a couple of thoughts there uh, to refocus on. So great was Paul's joy that he wrote the letter we know as First Thessalonians. In those first few verses, we can hear not only his relief, but also the great joy Paul felt after hearing what was going on there. And I'm sure many of us have experienced great joy when we hear of other believers uh, who are working for the Lord and what is transpiring and how successful it is. Well, this is, we can identify with Paul and how they felt when they heard the good news. Probably some missionary that you have been praying for and they send a report and you hear of the good work they're doing and you feel good about it, you feel great about it. Well, that's, that's an idea of what Paul uh, was experiencing. His, Paul's confidence was not in the Thessalonians' ability. They were just ordinary people, weak and fallible. No, his confidence was in the foundation of their work, labor, and endurance. Faith produced work, love motivated their labor, and hope inspired their endurance. Because of the foundation was sure, the outward actions would continue. It is important for us to remember that any outward signs of our faith, like joy, for example, are ultimately dependent on what? Firmness of our foundation. The firmness or the stability or the soundness or the solidness of our foundation. And of course, we know that in any structure, if the foundation isn't right, you have a problem, right? You have a problem with the building. Something is wrong. And there's a matter for concern. Uh, I remember one time we were, I got a, a call from uh, the lady who was living in one of the places that, that I managed. And she was there because the hurricane had damaged her house and this, this property was rented by the government and they put her in there until the house could be repaired. And I remember her calling me one time and said, I need to come quick. Um, there was something wrong. So I went there and um, there was a, a, a crack in the foundation in the house from the front of the house straight through the living room area, straight through the kitchen. And we were trying to figure out, that wasn't there before, what happened? You know, so I, I called my partner, my, my, um, my bosses were in town, the owners of the place were in town at that particular time, and I called them and I explained to them what was going on, and they called an engineer, and he came out and he looked at it, and they couldn't figure out what was going on, but apparently it was just after the hurricane, right, and they figured, uh, there was something that happened that caused the building to shift. And this is a large complex. This is, this is a complex that had multiple units in it. You know, and there's this, this, this hairline crack straight through uh, the entire building. And it's a matter of concern. So whenever there's a problem with a foundation, people are alarmed because that's a problem. But the firmness of our, our foundation is what we need to be concerned about. Are we do, are we sitting on a firm foundation with regards to our faith? Faith and love are driving forces in how Christians should live their lives. In the next verses, we will see that joy flows from salvation 
our salvation experience as well. So let's look at the next verses we have, verses 4 to 6. Someone could go ahead and read that, please. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's look at that next question. Question number three. What are some ways your life reflects the joy of the gospel? What are some ways that your life today is reflecting the joy of the gospel? Anybody? How you there? Hmm? How you're living. How you're living, okay. Uh, what about it? Um, well, if you, if you, if. Let me put it another way. How is the joy of, how is the joy of the gospel reflected in your life? Well, uh, it's reflected by our assembly here briefly in our Sunday school class. Okay, freedom, yeah. freedom in Christ. Okay, liberty. Okay, being a part of ministry, singing in the choir. Okay. It keeps you excited, and you, you, it can't explain. It just shows the joy, and you just radiate joy. Okay, the radiation of joy. Yeah, you know, you just excited and nervous. Wow. <laughs> okay. You can be in the form of let me see a sermon instead of hearing one. Okay, look at verse 4. Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Uh, so verse 4 tells us that joy flows from our salvation experience. All right, The fact that we have been saved gives us tremendous joy as opposed to not being saved. And what awaits those who are not saved? What, what happens to those who are not saved? Uh, what kind of life are they? Are they experiencing joy persons who are not saved? We look at our life and the joy that we have as a result of being saved, and we look at other people's lives who are not saved, and there isn't any joy there. Okay? Paul identified with the Thessalonians as brothers. Paul made the Thessalonians, uh, Paul and the Thessalonians were part of God's family, those who were loved by God. God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to suffer and die that they may be brought into God's family through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good reason for joy, isn't it? Reflected through the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that God had chosen the Thessalonians. Look at that lady, face on 49. Look at who She really is It's an expression of joy, yeah. right? Look at her face. Notice, Paul had witnessed their genuine faith. He had seen that, okay? He had seen their changed lives, and he had seen their, their fervency in ministry. 
and how they were so excited and engaged. And he knew that they were part of God's family simply because of how they reflected their actions in, in ministry. Their life and witness affirmed their position. It spoke of the position that they had. Uh, the Greek term for chosen is also translated as election. In the Christian context, the broader sense of the word is that God in some way selects out of all humanity those who become a part of his family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the history of the Christian church, there has been a lively and often heated debate about the specific details as to how the process of election works, particularly concerning the relationship between election and human free will. Unfortunately, there has been no resolution over the debate, over the meaning of the term election that has, that has been satisfactory to all those persons who are engaged or concerned in this debate. Interestingly Paul, interestingly, Paul did not attempt to explain the concept. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So here we see Paul's assurance of the Thessalonians' salvation based on the gospel. The gospel is the good news of God's salvation made available for sinful humanity through what? the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, right? Paul brought the gospel to the Thessalonians not only in word, it came with the transforming power of God, is what he's saying. When the gospel is preached, what happens? God's power is unleashed, right? And that's why we cannot join the gospel, all right? Because we know the power that it carries. So God's power is released through the work of the Holy Spirit when the gospel is preached for the salvation of individuals whom we are speaking to or whom we are declaring the gospel to. And so the changed lives of those who respond by the, to the gospel by repenting and putting their faith in Christ testify of the truth of the gospel. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of what? A changed life in Christ. That's the greatest miracle. How many times have we looked at an individual of you are saved and said, Wow, look how he changed? We've seen that, right? Yeah. The greatest miracle is the is a, is a miracle of a changed life. How an individual has changed, and that's what the Bible says when he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a yeah. so we can expect a miraculous change. Because he is a new creation. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. And that is through the Holy Spirit's working. Uh, miraculous change. In fact, their changed lives due to the Holy Spirit's work gave them full conviction concerning their new life in Christ and their hope of eternal, of, of eternal life in heaven. Paul reminded the Thessalonians, notice what he says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The Thessalonians had the opportunity to see the examples of Paul and his friends. And that's what God wants others to see through our lives. The miracle of changed lives so that the gospel can have its full impact 
on the lives of those that we minister to. Okay, let's uh, read on. The foundation of our entire being is built on our salvation in Christ. These Christians believed the gospel, received the Holy Spirit, and were confident that they had been accepted and welcomed into the family of God. As a result of that sure foundation, they had a joy that was unshakable. If we are truly confident in our salvation in Christ, then we should have a true and authentic joy that is apparent to all who come in contact with us. And such joy is infectious to those around us. This authentic joy is one of the greatest ways we can have a welcoming heart and spirit. With such joy, we truly desire for others to experience the same certainty and joy that we have experienced. What does the kind of joy look like? Authentic joy that arises out of salvation in Christ has at least three these three characteristics. One, authentic joy does not wax and wane with circumstances. Mm-hmm. We tend to associate joy with what's going on during our day, but joy is deeper than a mere sentiment or emotion. Joy does not ebb and flow with our circumstances. Joy finds its source in God and in God alone. Two, Authentic joy is more solid and stable than the rising sun. Because joy comes from God, our unshakable rock, see Psalms 18.2, we can know our true source of joy will never be shaken. That means we are never without hope. Three, authentic joy is not found in immediate gratification, but by pushing past it. Everywhere we turn, the promise of happiness is held out for us. But joy is much deeper. Author C.S. Lewis wrote, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. <laughs> okay. A couple of points uh, we want to focus on there from that, uh, those paragraphs. It, uh, three in particular, the bullet points that he mentioned, uh, these three characteristics. Authentic joy does not wax in vain with circumstances. Okay. Joy finds its source in God and in God alone. Something to remember. And then number two, authentic joy is more solid and stable than the rising sun. Because joy comes from God, our unshakable rock, we can know our true source of joy will never be shaken, never ever be shaken. And then three, authentic joy is not found in immediate gratification, but by pushing past it. Everywhere we turn, the promise of happiness is held out for us. Joy is much deeper. Question number four. How does demonstrating joy in difficult circumstances make a difference in the kingdom? It makes a difference in the kingdom because, like I said earlier, 
when you come to know the Lord and you commit yourself to the Lord, as you know, you make that commitment and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And um, you have that assurance to know that whatever comes your way, your joy is still firm and is unshakable. Okay, so it, is, it authenticates. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, the next way to show us the love, show us that love and joy provide a compelling witness, an example for others to follow. And our time is gone, but let's, let's quickly look at that next passage, uh, verses 7 to 10. Someone go ahead and read that as well as the, uh, the comments. As a result, he became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonian believers presented just such a joyful witness. Paul reported that the believers in this city had become an example for others throughout the region and beyond. These believers had a reputation, a joyous designation that pointed to Christ and served as an invitation for others to embrace what they had. What a wonderful thing. Perhaps you desire that too. But the circumstances of life seem to constantly threaten living in such joy. Maybe we can begin by reminding ourselves daily of a few things. First, remember what you deserve. One of the great enemies of joy is entitlement. Entitlement creeps in when we look around at our circumstances and begin to foster the idea that we deserve something better than that situation or circumstance in which we find ourselves. Two, remember what you have. Another enemy of joy is comparison. We get so caught up in our own covetousness that we simply don't have any room for joy. In those moments, we should reflect on what we truly have. And third, remember what was paid. A great price has been paid for our salvation. We were not rescued from our empty way of life by silver or gold, no. It was by something much more valuable. Jesus was given for our sake. And in response, we begin to cultivate hearts that are no longer entitled. Instead, our hearts burn with white hot, with joy for the glory of the Lamb that was slain. Amen. Okay, so we take note of those three bullet points there. Remember what you deserve. One of our greatest entitlements, enemies, is the joy of an of joy's entitlement, and then remember what you have. Another enemy of joy is comparison. And then thirdly, remember what was paid. Jesus was given for our sake. Question number five, final question. How can these truths of these verses help our group be more welcoming? Anyone? The truth of these verses. How can the truth of these verses help our group be more welcoming? Remember what our focus focus of our study is, right? Becoming a more welcoming church. 
So how can these truth helpers be more welcoming? Well, you know, the joy that we have is so great that it really does flow out of our countenance, our words, and our actions, what we do and what we don't do, and how we treat other people. And so um, it's just natural that when I have something great, I want to tell Kayla. And Kayla wants to tell other people when she has that. And, And so it's natural for us to talk about the Lord Jesus and about the blessings we know in Him, mm-hmm. and share it with others, and for others to catch that same contagious joy mm-hmm. if they have the Lord Jesus in their life. Amen. Notice what C.S. Lewis says. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Mm-hmm. Something to think about, eh? And when someone said, the joy of the Lord is my strength, all right, let's look at how we can flesh this out and live it out. Uh, page 52. A faithful walk nurtures authentic joy with Christ. Choose one of the following applications. Thank someone. Who is one person in your life who lives with authentic joy? Write a note and thank that person for his or her example. Sure, we could think of somebody, right? And then uh, number two, grow in joy. Take a hard look at three suggestions. At the three suggestions for growing your joy, as seen on page forty-nine. Write them on an index cards and place them in spots where you can see them on a daily basis. I'd write them on a card and stick it on the inside of the windshield, right up top. On the windshield, instead of you driving, or on the refrigerator, or wherever, or on the mirror. You always look in the mirror, right? And then, journal your thanks. Because joy is linked with gratitude, begin a thankful journal. Each day for the next month, write down something you are thankful for, and watch your joy begin to grow. Good advice, isn't it? Happiness and a plastic smile can be manufactured easily enough, but time and circumstances will reveal the phoniness behind it. Authentic joy, on the other hand, will shine through, for it is rooted in what God has done for us in Christ. Amen? Amen. Take those thoughts with you.